0: Greatest thing about having kids is the one thing that did happen is while I was my parents' slave, I now have my own slaves. I know what it is to be Moses and Pharaoh. I lead them in the way of the Lord, and sometimes I'm hard, just like Pharaoh. But I love them. I do. <clears throat> what a wonderful morning, man! I mean, like, talk about a way to start off the morning. Uh, that's it. Recording here. All right, we're good. <clears throat> <clears throat> so I, I told Joy, I was like, we might be a little lengthy this morning, just because the chapter kind of calls for it. But I'm going to try to like, I don't want to rush through it. But we have a lot to really get to, so I'm kind of, kind of just jump right in. <clears throat> Excuse me. So love, love doing the baby dedication. My first time, just I love kids. I, as I get the older I get, it's like the more I think everything is funny, everything is hilarious to me, and. And I see them as they grow up, and they say some of the craziest things, and they do some of the funniest things. And for whatever reason, whether it's patience or uh, maturity, everything becomes funny to me. And what it's really taught me is that growing up is really a process of discovery. Maturing is a process of discovery. Wouldn't you agree, amen? We go through all kinds of phases as we search to discover who we are, what we're here for, why are we here. And I've tried a lot of things... Uh, Along the way and I've and I've and I've taken on many different faces along the way I can remember being young and I had a disease called Perthes disease now Perthes disease is when like one hip is like Shorter than another like your bone is deteriorating So like I was that guy that had that leg that's like up here, you know And then like what they had to do is they put these braces on in between Uh, I had wear these special shoes if you've seen Forrest Gump, right? And these special shoes had a bar in between them so that my legs were split All the time. Anywhere I ran, anywhere I went, I had to like just teeter-tot to get there. Uh, That makes climbing a fence hard, guys. That makes climbing trees hard when your legs are split wide open. Um, Very, very different and uh, uh, it it, it doesn't take much to hang around any kids at that time where they kind of, they'll kind of make fun of you and they'll give you a hard time for things like that and so I, I didn't see a lot of other kids with things like that, so it was kind of a struggle to run and play with other, other kids with this this gigantic contraption between my legs. But eventually, the doctors they got that work out and they straightened me out, and I got a little bit older. And I remember going through some of the darkest years of my life. And let me uh, tell you, like this is probably the most darkest moment of my life. I I, I came to the point where I literally owned a Michael Jackson jacket. Believe it or not, I had the red jacket with the zippers. And if, listen, if you think that's bad, oh, I had the glove. How awful. How awful was that, right? I had the glove with all the glitter. It was bedazzled. And I had the red jacket, right? A few more years goes by, it heavy into skateboarding. I decide I'm going to shave my head and I just had bangs. And so now my, my bangs are coming way down past like my chin, but I've got no hair anywhere else i 'm going to tell you something it 's hard to get a girlfriend that way, all right didn't get married with no hair like that, man. like you can't, you can't do like weird hair that looks like, like your brother cut it, and you pick up a girl right East Texas girls where i was from, not into that, totally not. So well, eventually puberty would get the best of me, and, and, and wanting a girlfriend wanting to fit in and searching for this identity, I, I eventually gave up and just basically started looking like everyone else and while the earthly rewards seemed to be good and seemed to make it worth it looking back today I think I wasted more time and I see God speaking to me now through that journey today I found that the more I run towards Christ the less afraid I am of being me at least the me that God created and I'm constantly reminded of the words in first Peter 2 9 love it in the King James it says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation and this is my favorite part a peculiar people Now, this is God speaking through his word to every believer, declaring what you really are. It's as if he's saying you will search and search and wonder throughout your life uh, what you're looking for, for your identity. But I've already called it to be so. You are my priest. You are my peculiar people. Have you ever looked up the word peculiar? I mean, I think we have this kind of idea, like a vague idea of what it means. But have you ever really taken the time to really look the word up a bit? I mean, in the dictionary today, it basically means strange. I don't know if like we look at that as a good thing man that's a strange person. It says uh, the word peculiar also means unusual. It also means odd, funny. But is it funny because you're odd? Like that's also, I wonder. It means curious or bizarre or weird or unexpected, unfamiliar, abnormal. Some of us wear this like a badge. Right? Out of the ordinary. I told my wife that she's out of the ordinary, right? That's a good thing though, right? I don't think it would come out that way if I said peculiar. You're peculiar. But I mean it in a good way, right? We don't normally associate that word peculiar in a good way, but when Peter is saying it, he means it in a way that is good. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be unusual. You're supposed to be odd and abnormal and unfamiliar. You're supposed to be these things. You know why? Because you end up coming up and walking up to somebody and you're a walking question. Like I have no idea who you really are. You're different than everyone else. And it and it and it causes a big question in somebody. People want to discover more. They want to know more. They're curious. It creates curiosity. So who are you? Well, you're peculiar. You're funny. You are out of the ordinary because you're priest in the priesthood, a holy nation according to Peter. A holy people, a chosen people, is what Peter said. But somewhere down the line, we've kind of derailed in this process. Whether it's through spiritual attack or social attack or whatever that is, we've let go of what makes us unique and traded it for acceptance and everything else. And in doing so, we've strayed from what this world needs and is crying out for. You are God's chosen people, His holy priesthood, and it's time we start acting now I, I know many of you think that it's some some of it's like a big misconception that this is a position only imparted to a few. Well, you have got to be called to be a priest. No, that's not what the Bible says. I think the enemy is some, to some of you have already kind of gotten you. They've gotten you off track. Peter's not talking to certain individuals here. He's not talking about a certain calling. He's talking to everyone that has received salvation through Christ. He's talking to all of us this morning. So, what is it to be a holy priest? What do priests do? If this is what I'm called to be, then should I know what I'm supposed to be doing? Let's turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, chapter five. And he begins to lay out like I'm not a really big bullet point type of guy. And you're going to know that if you talk to me for any given time. Like I'm not really that kind of person. But man, I could not help but see one point after another on what we're supposed to be in chapter five. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to start there in verse 1. Just read the first 10 verses. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Good, good, good. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor he must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest no he was chosen by God who said to him you are my son today I've become your father and in another passage God said to him you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek while Jesus was here on earth he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death and God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from all things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So let's break this down so we can understand what it's being asked of us as in the priest of the priesthood of believers. The first thing right off the bat, I think as it gets right into the verse 1, we basically as the holy priest, we are chosen... To represent other people. We are chosen to represent other people. And I can't think of any better way to say this than, in, than by using the Bible or in this situation. That we exist now not for our own gain or losses. We exist now to represent other people. To serve others. To love others as Christ did. So are we now. Mark twelve thirty one reads, Love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love everyone, even those who are hard to love. I'm not even going to say, say amen. Jesus said it's easy to love those who love you, but to love those who don't is to know real and true love. And we're not like everyone else. Remember, we're peculiar. We love people that don't love us. We kill them with kindness, amen? (laughs) I hope so. We're unique and out of the ordinary in Christ and this is what enables us to do things that others cannot. This is what makes us peculiar. Loving when it's hard to love is one of them. Representing them uh, uh, before the Lord as Jesus does is a part of that calling in the priesthood. I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's hard to love somebody that makes it their whole day to get back at you. It's hard. But that's what God has called us to do. That's part of the priesthood. That's part of what we're called to do. Are you chosen? Absolutely, you are chosen. The Bible says through Ephesians, you were chosen before the foundations of this world. You're here for a reason. God has called you for a reason. And as you receive grace, you will now give grace to others. Because now you are called to represent them. The next thing he says, even in the same verse, is to say that to be a holy priest is to actively pursue intercessory ministry oh yeah you wonder what ministry you got called to I'm gonna tell you right now intercession there's no higher ministry and no greater sign of maturity in Christ than the ministry of intercession let me say that again there's no higher ministry and no greater sign of maturity in Christ than the ministry of intercession Hebrews seven twenty five reads therefore he is able to save completely Those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. As was the custom of Jesus to intercede here, so it is still the custom today. I mean, do you pray for others more than you pray for yourself? If not, now you have the litmus test of where your faith is. As well as where you should be heading. Because to pursue Christ... And his ministry is to pursue the ministry of intercession and praying for others as you would yourself. Can I tell you, that's hard. That's so hard. Because I don't know about you, but don't it feel like your own life's such a minefield? Like everywhere you walk, it seems like something's exploding. And I'm supposed to pray for somebody else's life? I'm just trying to make it through the minefield. Right? But to pray for others, it's the very heart of what it is to be selfless. I'm not sure that we'll ever see the power or the manifestation of what intercessory prayer will ever do here. 2 Corinthians reads in 1 says, and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Paul, saying, man, you've been praying this whole time and we can look at everything that's happened to us and all the good that's happened and we know it's because you're praying over there. You've been interceding for us and in our life we have seen the fruit of your intercession. How many knows that they didn't probably know it was? They had no clue probably what was going on in Paul's life. They're just going to keep on praying. We might not ever see it under the clouds, right? How many sons and daughters have some of you prayed for? How many people have you begin to pray for and wonder whatever's going to happen of them? I can tell you, I meet a lot of people at different stages of their walk with, with Christ. And I can tell you over and over and over again that usually they are the product of someone else's prayers. Oh, I'm here today because my mom this, or I'm here today because my grandmother or my my dad this or because my friend's been praying for me forever. And finally, I God chased them down, God hunted them down, God pursued them down. We see the Lord practiced it. And if the Lord practiced it, shouldn't we also? How many sons and daughters have found their way back, right? I don't know that we'll ever know. But does that matter? Man, we intercede, we pursue, man. One of the greatest prayers that I love about Jesus is in John 17, where he prays. He goes, I pray not for the world. I pray for those whom you sent me. Like, they're about to go, and life is about to go on without them. And at this moment, John 17, by the way, he is approaching the cross. And in the moment of the cross, all he can think about is his friends. These are the same ones that they can't can't focus on themselves at that moment because they're so consumed and worried about Christ. Remember, Peter's eventually about to cut off some ears. Right, he's about to get crazy about to start lying about to start cursing I mean, there's some things going on and, and he's like man I know the devil's gonna try to sift them. I know he's gonna try to lay guilt upon them He's gonna try to rob their identity I've called I've called Peter the rock, but he's about to feel not like the rock. He's about to feel like saying And in this moment where all my life I'm about to get beat I'm about to have my hair pulled out my beard pulled out I'm about to be spit on whipped, tortured all these things. All I can think about is my friends That's a gut check for us by the way in the ministry of intercession That's a gut check for us. The next thing he says, just in verse 2 there, he says, to be a holy priestess, to deal with ignorant and and wayward people and to understand it because you suffer from the same weaknesses. Welcome to Mosaic, folks. Welcome to Mosaic. We almost brag about our brokenness and transparency. One of the things that I have found it very hard is... is, uh, How to lead people when I'm so honest and and truthful and transparent about being broken because a lot of people that would turn away from Because if we're on if we're going to be honest, we always understand that leaders aren't perfect But let's be honest. We want to we want them to appear that way And the problem with that is we're teaching our leaders not to be honest and not to be truthful and they're scared to live Transparent before you like they're real and so what do we do we create a whole ministry of about Uh, uh, 1500 pastors a year get out of the ministry 50% of pastors would leave the pulpit if they could if they had another trade Uh, They don't know how to do anything else. So they stay in the pulpits Their pastors wanting to flee. Nobody wants to take a position today They're, They're afraid they'll die One of the things they said in the leadership conference if you're not called to be a pastor the church will kill you get out of it The church will kill you This idea that you're gonna have to stand up there and act perfect and be perfect will kill you It will kill your marriage. It will kill your family. You need to hurry and run You better be called to do what you do. Now, here's how I fight that in this situation right here. uh, I am called to deal with ignorant and wayward people. Why? Because I suffer from the same sickness. Because I'm ignorant and wayward. Now, I don't know if you like that in a leader. Here's how I defeat ignorant and wayward, though. I'll be honest about it. I have people that I'm accountable to. I confess when I struggle. Right? And here's the thing about preacher, by the way eventually it will come out because everything that's in the heart comes out the mouth. And if you're going to be the guy who's going to stand up and preach all the time, eventually it will come out your mouth. Your doctrine will start being flawed. Your preaching will start being flawed. It will come out of you. You Might as well be honest about it. People will either accept you or they won't. And you need to be okay with that. You need to be okay. The Holy Priest, we are called to deal with people like us. We understand it because it's like us. There's nothing more humbling, right, than to witness firsthand our stony hearts melt away at the hearing of the gospel and then get to share it with someone else. Especially when they reject it, right? Because we're like, how can you reject it? And then we remember, oh yeah, we rejected it too probably the first time we heard it. How do you convince someone who can't see or hear that they're in danger? I mean, it's a humbling task. We're not here to judge them. We're not here to get mad at them. We are here to love them, and that is difficult also. And how do we do that? We do that by remembering. We do it by remembering. 1 Timothy twelve thirteen. Paul teaches this. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do this work. He, he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Love this. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. I can't tell you how many times I've done things in ignorance and unbelief. Man, I've scared a few street corner preachers in my life in ignorance and unbelief. And how do we get there? How do we end up loving people like this? Well, how do we deal with them? Well, we remember that we were there too. We were once unbelievers. We were also dead in our sins and by the power of the gospel have been resurrected in life. If not for Jesus, we'd be right there with them. We did nothing to earn salvation. We did nothing but receive the gift of of grace and the same one Jesus offers everyone. Today, um, I tend to gravitate towards uh, students and adults that struggle and, you know, that with their attitude and all kinds of things, and I have a heart for them. Because I'm just like them. I have a hard time too. There's days where my anger just gets the best of me. And it's not so pastoral. And I have to remember in that moment, there are times where literally somebody has said something to me, and I have to, like, I'm keeping my mouth shut as my face flushes red. Because I can feel the blood coming up. You ever hear, like, you know, guys, when I'm talking about when your ears start to feel the heartbeat in your ears? Like, mm hmm. Like somebody's about to get knocked out. Thank you, Jesus, for holding me back. I'm just being human. What holds me back? I remember that I'm the same way. I remember that I'm human. I remember, I I literally have to talk to myself in those moments and remember the grace of God upon my life. And that I'm not better, and that everybody has moments where it's just a bad day. You know, one of the things I'm teaching my 7th graders already, some of you have already heard me teach this, everybody deserves a bad day. I don't mean like you you deserve one because you're a bad person. I mean like you deserve to have like a free day where it's your bad day. Well, look, you know what? I'm going to be nice to you on your bad day. Just kind of let you have your space and things. not return not return evil for evil. All right? Kind of going to understand that, you know what, you have one bad day. It doesn't mean you're going to have a bad week, so I just need to let this thing go. Right? right? We're reminded that hurting people are the ones who hurt people. So in that bad day, we go, I'm going to love you. It's your bad day, and I'm going to love you today. And I'm not going to let, I'm going to let all this stuff just roll off because I know you're just having a bad day. It's just one day, and tomorrow you'll regret that day. So I'm going to love you through today. We say it in my house and we practice it as well. The next thing says in Hebrews in, in uh, verse 3 says, To be a holy priest is to understand you need repentance and forgiveness as much as everyone else. Amen. I don't even know if I have to preach that one. I mean, it's just another sign of maturity. Two things that this church has been built upon is honest and transparency. And I'll say it again. I fully realize that we're honest and transparent. We risk that people won't full come on board with this church. If we're fully honest and we're fully transparent, I just get it, I know, because we struggle with leaders who are open about their flaws. We tend to look towards our leaders as being much of a a model of perfection. But what's the truth? The truth is, is that everyone is flawed, and just some are honest about it. I'm flawed, but I have Christ, and He's given me you for accountability. He's given me you for accountability. I have to live my life, like Paul said, in the shop window of display. I am the fool on display before you. It's supposed to be that when you look at me, you go, man, if God can save that guy, surely he can save others. Literally, that's Paul's translation, like, you know? 1 John 1, 9 reads, If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to clean us from all uh, wickedness. Confession is the co-heir to repentance. There is no repentance without confession. That's why there has to be a public confession of faith for you to be saved because there is no repentance without confession. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you'll confess things, you you can move towards repentance. We do have moments in our life where we uh, find time. We've got to make time to to confess either to the Lord and each other and each other so that we can feel the cleansing of the blood of Christ over us. And we can know, big, big word, know that we are forgiven. That's a big word in the Bible, by the way. There's a, like Ezekiel, as you go through the chapter, if you ever look through the book of Ezekiel, like 40 I think it's like 44 times no, it's like 44 chapters, and I think in Ezekiel, like 60 times it says, "To know that I am the Lord." God wants you to know Him, to know that you're forgiven, to know what the cleansing of his blood is like. The next thing, i got to move, i got to move. To be a holy priest is to be called to the work. And not simply for the desire of such honor. Mm. There are too many pastors, too many preachers, too many evangelists and others today that are absolutely like Simon the Magician in the book of Acts. They seek, they seek the gain of the ministry. They are uh, uh, not pulpiteers as much as they are profiteers, right? You know what I'm talking about. There are men who have exchanged their calling for comfort. And in doing so, they're leading others astray with their false teaching. They're dangerous men. Second Peter 2, 2 and 3 reads, Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies. Listen to this. To get a hold of your money. Mm, that'll preach all by itself. So. Paper and metal are not what these men long for. Listen. I pray you can see through this. What they want is what paper and metal can buy. Comfort. Easy living. The bad part is I'm not sure we haven't had our part in creating men like this. About to get tough, guys. Listen. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Can I tell you, in a supply and demand culture, it begs the question of what are we demanding? We've lived with supply and demand as the culture of democracy for so long. What are we demanding from our churches? Remember what you're here for. Remember that you're here to seek Christ, His humility, His selflessness, His compassion. However, I can't help but think that after uh, generations of people pursuing the American dream, we somehow helped to create the prosperity gospel that's killing our pulpit today. I mean, we all want to live better. Why is it so confusing if it hits the pulpit that way? The problem for the pastor that hadn't spent enough time with God is God somehow, because he quits spending time with God, God is no longer the main influence in his life, and the people in his church become the main influence in his life. And when that happens... He starts preaching what they're saying instead of preaching what God is saying. A pastor like that can't tell you how to return to God because he's not with God. And I think we play our part in that. We have to press in and push forward. And, and something you're going to hear, it's going to get old. But we've got to return to God. We've got to go back. It's the only way forward. You know, one of the, it's a slogan or whatever you want to call it, I call it our mission, is to advance the gospel. Listen, advance, move forward. The gospel by returning to God. That's our mission at this church. It's, it's on our website. It's what we're about. We're about advancing the gospel. We're going to evangelize the gospel, but we're going to do it by returning you back to God. I'm not going to get into all the wishy-washy fads of the church that go change over the years. We're going to teach the fundamental foundations, the things that concrete is made of. Prayer, Bible study, discipleship, which is mentoring, teaching the older generation how to embrace the young, gener- young generation, embrace the older generation. There, there is no, while we might be multi-generational in the church, we are still one body. We are still one body the musical change, the way we go about evangelism, all that stuff might change. But I'm going to tell you what hadn't changed between three, four, five generations ago and today. That believer four generations, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, still had to pray. 40, 60, 70, 80 years ago, still had to read their Bible. Some things do not change. And they become the pillars of what we build upon. Everything else is subject to change. And it will never be a sacred cow. I won't let it. You might not like it here, but I won't let it be here. What's important are the basic fundamental foundations of our faith. I'm going to tell you the musicals change, but I'm going to tell you if you're close with God and you're praying to God and you're studying your Bible, you will be used by God. I don't care how old you are. From young to old, I've learned great truth from people way younger than me and people way older than me. I've had teenagers speak wonderful things into my life that were amazing. Why? Because they're close with God. What else matters? I'm going to tell you, somebody who's close with God, they're wise beyond their years. They're wise beyond their years. If I can see the close, which by the way, I believe we all shine like Moses if we go hang out with the glory of God. And if I can see the shining from you from God, and I can see the love that you bear through Christ in grace and knowing how to deal with someone, even that you might disagree with, I promise you, I am way more apt to listen to you. We have to be careful not to have itching ears, not to get onto something and just hang on to it to make it an idol before us because we can take the things of this church that seem so precious and just make it idols. Can I tell you something? We can make communion idol. We can make baptisms idol. Those are all things that I think we should do. Ordinances of the church per se, but I'm going to tell you something. If we think that that's more important than some new believer coming in here in the gospel, remember what our mission is first and foremost, to reach those who have not heard the news. There can be no baptisms without them. I better go on. We got to return. We must return. We must return. The next one, to be a holy priest is to have a deep reverence for God there in verse 7. We are a holy priest as Christ is the holy priest. We cannot forget this. Too many times uh, to list, uh, uh, too many times to list is the idea that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we can look uh, uh, at that negatively, or we can see it as Samuel did in First Samuel twelve twenty four. Be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of the wonderful things He has done for you. Samuel says, "Are you able to do that? I mean, do you take the time to sit and think about the greatness of God in your life? One of the things I heard a guy in here. I've said in here once before. If you don't own a telescope, you should look out and gaze at the stars once in a while and see how small you are and see how vast." the breath of God is. Right? His breath made all these things, right? Why not gaze at it and look at the beauty of it and think of Jesus? I mean, did he not say the rocks would cry out, that the earth testifies? You know, some people, as I've lived here for seven years, I'm going to tell you, I still say the hill country is one of the prettiest places I've ever seen in my life. But can I tell you, I talk to people from here all the time that cannot see its beauty any longer. Some of you have been in church way too long, man, where you've gotten that way, and you're failing to see the beauty of what watching somebody new come to the Lord, watching somebody new, uh, 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 like just watching like you know, a, a child up here. We see life in the church, and we see coming together, man. We're hanging around the donuts, and we're hanging around the coffee, and we're all talking one to another. I'm going to tell you, I value all of that more than I value this time right here. That's why our Wednesdays are so informal. If you're not part of us on Wednesday, you should, because we're way informal. I mean, it's the kind where you could probably come in here in your bathrobe. It'd probably be okay. Within reason, folks. Within reason. Because why? Because I cherish connection. I, I cherish and I value connecting with you personally. Listen, it's great. I, I appreciate you sitting here and tolerating me for 30, 45 minutes. But what I love is to have dinner with you. What I love is to hear about all the stories from what happened during the week or ups and downs that are going through and, things like that why because it's that moment in relationship we're Jesus to one another we're on mission we're loving one another we're sharing each other's burdens we're caring for one another when we have reverence for God we have reverence for each other are you thankful to the Lord for such things it's like we should make a time and we should just call it Thanksgiving Wait a minute. Oh, there is one. Right? Ephesians 5.21 says, And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we show reverence to God, we show reverence to each other. When we submit to God, we submit to each other. How much reverence we show for God will determine how well we will serve His people. By the way, serving His people is a requirement. There's no such thing as sitting in the house of God. You are servants. You are called to be servants. Love one another. Love each other. Help each other. Share with each other. You want the beauty of the Acts 2 church, but man, the only way to get there is to serve each other. The beauty of the Acts 2 church is that everybody served each other. Everybody did. Uh, Our last point here, to be a holy priest is to be able to use suffering as a platform for learning and growing oh this will preach all by itself as i studied for this message i came across this blogger by the name of subola now i don't know who she is but she hit the nail on the head concerning the ministry of suffering she writes this among the many reasons god allows us to suffer suffer this is my personal favorite it prepares us to be the radiant bride of christ The Lord Jesus has got a big job to do, changing his ragamuffin church into a a glorious bride worthy of the Lamb. Ephesians 5 tells us he is making us holy by washing us with the word, presenting us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Listen to her. She says, suffering develops holiness in unholy people, but getting there is painful in the Lord's laundry room. When you use bleach to get rid of stains, it's a harsh process. Get rid of wrinkles is even more painful. Ironing means a combination of heat plus pressure. Ouch, no wonder suffering hurts. I think she's hit the nail on the head. It's through the trials of suffering that God forged the man Jesus Christ to atone of our sins. It's through the trials of suffering that God forged the man Paul who would expound so much of God's thoughts through the Holy Spirit and transfer them to paper. And it's through the trials of suffering that the church was born and still lives today. So, so that was So that we can be holy as he is holy. Listen to the Apostle James expound on suffering. And I think he knows quite a bit about it, seeing how he had his head chopped off. James 1, 2, uh, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come of any kind your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that your faith is being tested. Your endurance has chance to grow, so let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Suffering grows you. It is a tool for growth and to the believer towards endurance and to the unbeliever towards salvation. Let me say that again. It is a tool for growth to the believer, to endurance, and to the unbeliever to salvation. Either way, it's a part of this world. Like it or not, we're going to experience it. And despite how we feel about it, we're always better for it. Now lastly, like a word of caution. And I'm going to close with this. The rest of the Hebrew chapter there. I'll read it, but it's rough. And you can tell that he was like trying to explain what the priesthood was all about, and then he gets to this place where like uh, he's a little frustrated. The Hebrew writer says this, there's much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basics about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk, cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, that's the way to end the chapter, right? So those of you that don't listen, none of it matters what I said anyway. Can I tell you something? Can't stay a baby. Can't stay a kid. Parents, you already know this. You've already told your kid, I will kick you out the house. I will force you. You will learn by suffering how to live on your own. And if you've suffered to do so and you've lived that life, you already know I'm speaking the truth. If you've been pushed out and you had to live on your own, you already know what that suffering is about. Where you had to grow up all of a sudden. Especially once you started having kids. Welcome to being a grown up. Where life exists not just for you anymore, but towards something else that you have to give your thoughts towards. Not just your thoughts, but even your checkbook. You can't stay inference. You have to grow. And listen, if you're not growing, there are pretty good chances you're dead. We need to check your pulse. You need to be growing. How do you know when you're growing? How do you know when you've reached the place where you're growing? When you can feed yourself. I'm going to tell you right now, I realize that we're going to have some people come in that we're going to have to train how to feed you. We're going to have to train so you understand how to pick up the fork, how to look in the Bible and read the Bible. Some of you should already know how. If you come in here, I swear whenever I hear it, and it's not just as a pastor, but even I... I found myself getting outside of this. If you have to come in say, man, I go to church every Sunday to get fed, and if I'm not fed, oh my gosh, you sound like a baby throwing a temper tantrum. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Make something. You got two hands and two legs, you're like 40 years old, get it done. Guess what? Open the Bible. You know how many commentaries are on the internet? Oh my gosh. You know how many people are preaching and podcasts and everything, and you know how many good preachers there are? There's a bunch. Well, I don't like this pastor. He doesn't preach that good. Well, you know how many people you can listen to during the week? There's a bunch of good ones out there. And then you can come tolerate me on Sunday. There's a bunch, man. Listen, maturity is a sign. I don't need anyone else to feed me. Now, listen, doesn't mean I don't need accountability. <laughs> Let's not mistake the two. I need people in my life. But whose resp- let me tell you, when you get to heaven, here's one thing you're going to find out. There are no excuses. I teach this to students, and some of you adults have already heard me say this. We teach no excuses here because there are none in heaven. You will not get to go in heaven and go, my pastor didn't feed me. You need to keep him accountable. I think God's going to laugh at you. He'd be like, what's wrong? I made you, you got two hands just like he does. You got a life just, he. you know what? He gets up at like five every morning. Why You could have done that. Well, God, I got to sleep. And, um, no. There will be no excuses in heaven. I teach my kids that. You don't get to blame dad for everything well, we grew up in a pastor's house, and we, you know, no, 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 no. You're going to answer to the Lord for your own decisions. Might as well start teaching them at that early age, so that when they get to adults, they learn to be responsible for their own decisions. That's how I feel, and mainly it's because there are none in heaven, so why are we allowing that here? It's not that I don't have grace. You're going to make bad decisions. That's what grace is for. But we should be encouraging. I'm encouraging to make your own decisions. I'm going to tell you, every time I get to the pulpit, you need to find time to dig in for yourself and eat the Word of God because there is no rhema, no rhema that's going to come from this pulpit that's going to be half as good as what God wants to tell you in the morning. Because God will speak completely to your life. That's probably my phone or something there. Uh, God wants to completely speak to you in your life. That's what He wants to do. I'm not a substitute for that. At this church, we will develop disciples. We will teach people how to go get a plate, put it down, and feed them. People that can't, we don't make fun of that. They can't. There's people that are going to come in, and they're going to need us to learn from. And in those moments, we need to be the encouraging body of believers that supports them and fully engages them to learn how to feed themselves. So what? So they can teach others how to feed. And we need to create that cycle that has to happen. So it's passed down. It extends past one generation. Maturity is the difference between someone who comes and sits and someone who comes and serves. We are going to be a church that serves. I mean, right now we're still trying to like flesh out what a lot of that looks like. Because we're not a different church. I'm not going to go and we're not going to be like the rock star churches that are out there today. There's nothing wrong with some of the stuff they're doing at all. But God has called me specifically in returning to him. So, what does that look like for us? When we do something, we bring them in. There needs to be a process set up by which we disciple people. There's, I'm not looking for, for people just to say yes to Jesus. I'm looking for people to say, I'll die to Jesus. I'll die for him. You know, I will die to carry the gospel to places. I will go wherever God tells me to go. That's what I'm looking for. And so, when we do things, it's going to revolve around that, about, about serving. And, and, and the other part of maturity is maturity means that you're a leader. If you're mature and you can feed yourself, it means you should be helping others feed themselves. Now, what does that look like? That looks like you finding somebody to either mentor or something like that. And listen, if you're young in here, that means you need to be asking. It shouldn't be like some older people like, hey, man, I'm looking for somebody to mentor. It shouldn't be like that. They should have people coming to be asking. Students, things like that, the younger kids, we need to be invested in them. We need to invest in the next generation. Why? Because God has, God has got us this far, right? We've learned a lot by experience. You guys in here that have been in the world for a while, you got some awesome resume, life resumes, right? You're like, man, I've been through some stuff. And you know what? There's some next generation that needs that. They need what, that, what you have. They need to learn what you have. Is there somebody behind me? My bad. We have church and a restaurant, folks. Maybe we should just start serving food, too. I don't know. This is, this is where God has us, right? I mean, as we approach Hebrews and we're learning about the Bible, this is not a called position. Well, I'm not really called to be a priest. No, you are. Peter is saying you are. He's not talking to individual. Well, it did say chosen, Pastor. Yeah, uh, you're chosen. Go read Romans 8. You're the chosen. You're chosen to be conformed unto the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, it looks like being a leader. It looks like maturing. Jesus fed himself. He said, all that the Father gives me, I give out to everyone else. That's how it should be. He models it. He models it. I get up, I go to God, I speak with God, I spend time with God, I develop my relationship with God in so much that that relationship now flows into everything else. A disciple. Whatever he tells me is what I say. Wherever he tells me to go, it's where I go. It's real simple. It's real simple. When God quits talking, I'm going to tell you right now, it's usually because it's usually because you're growing up. You're maturing. And God's saying, I showed you in the way you should go. Now get it done. Now just go live it. And we should embrace the adventure. We should really embrace the adventure. Like I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. Amen. Rise to your feet this morning. What a glorious day in the Lord it is. God is a good God. This morning I'm just going to pray and... and, uh, Man, I'm just gonna. I think I'm gonna give you a charge this morning, and and, uh, and we'll dismiss. But uh, really, I really feel like that's the word of the Lord this morning. That uh, just to charge you to to go out to be the priest of your house, the priest of your job, the priest of your community. Lord, right now, our hearts bow before you. we stand before you God and say cleanse us forgive us make us whole make us new God make us righteous as you are righteous holy as you are holy God teach us oh God what it is to be your priest how to give you reverence how to love others that are hard to love Lord really help us there our flesh wants to get in the way, God. I need you to pull those things back. Help us through suffering, God, at times to learn some of that. To remember that people are just hurt and they're broken. And they're in pain. And sometimes when we're in pain, Lord, just recall to our mind that it's, it's then that we're the most selfish. And in that moment, God, will You just bring us to the cross and crucify our flesh so that we can love through the pain? So that we can love through the hurt, heartache, God? Teach us, God. Grow us, mature us, God. Don't let us sit back or sit still, God. Enlarge us. Enlarge our spirit, God. Give us wisdom and discernment. Teach us the right things to say that would encourage, build up, and lift up others. Teach us how to serve in a way that is right and true before You, God. Give us humility, Lord. Remind us that it isn't the works of our flesh, God, that do good works. It's the Spirit of Your Son working through us. These are the work of your hands, God. This is the work of your hands. This is the work of the cross. Help us, O Lord, this morning as we get ready to go out back into our jobs and our family and our community. May we be Christ to them. May we further our time with you, spend more time with you, Lord more time in the private place. Help us to draw close. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.